For so many modern-driven women, life is about being more than one thing. We're multidimensional, and so are our conversations. We carry multiple identities. We can be both mother and artist, both attorney and entrepreneur, both clinician and CEO, both humble and proud. Life for women like us is about both, about all of the above. It's about the and. Our stories are the stories of so many of you. We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present with our families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other smart, conscious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast. In our business, we're big fans of financial literacy and accountability. Knowing your numbers is an essential aspect of building a successful business and inherent responsibility for any entrepreneur. We also believe that what you focus on grows. So pay attention to your money. How do we stay up to speed on our numbers? We use Bench for our bookkeeping. It's simple, elegant, and saves us so many hours that would otherwise be spent neck deep in receipts on the other side of a spreadsheet. Each month, our transactions are automatically imported into Bench, and we get on-demand financial reports. We even enjoy opening up our profit and loss statement to review each month. And when tax time comes around, we are up to date and ready to go. And this is what financial empowerment feels like. Head on over to anshe.co slash bench to save 20% off your Bench accounting plan for the first six months. Hello, welcome to Anshi Spoke. <laughs> hey, Jenny, I'm excited to do this episode. Me too. Really excited. We are calling this episode, Is Your Path to Wealth Blocked? Yesterday, there was a few conversations in Slack and I got really angry and I started messaging you like, we need to do a podcast about this. And so that is where this came from. So let me explain the, what, what I witnessed yesterday. I'm not going to give you all the details, but basically it's like, Women are focused on the wrong metrics, and I am afraid that if we stay focused on those wrong metrics, that we are not going to be able to see the impact and the change in the world with women building businesses because they're focused on the wrong thing. Yeah, my favorite topic that we talk about on this show is kind of money, like women, Mm -hmm. money and power. We need to do more. We Mm -hmm. need to do more because it's this huge driving force in all of our lives, whether we want to admit it or not. And you started slacking me. I was driving to go to the library (laughs) and not driving. I was in the passenger seat. And I was like, just like we were slack messaging each other, like angry slack, angry feminist activist slack messages about this. And so we decided it was important to do a podcast. So yeah, I think it's really important to talk about. So why don't you share with our listeners a little bit about what you were messaging me? Yeah, so I think like what I was witnessing were were was a woman who was worried about sixty dollars. 
And I was like, why is she worried about $60? Like, who cares about $60? In the time that you worried about $60 and expressed your thoughts about the $60, you could have made a thousand or many thousand or a hundred or whatever. But I think, like, I think what I'm seeing is that women are taught to like shrink and men are taught to expand. I think that's what I, I slacked you. And I'm mad and I'm frustrated. And then I started down this rabbit hole, many rabbit holes last night about the history of women and how we were taught in our sort of financial literacy. Although so often that it applies to like, how do you like invest? And, you know, it's like sort of day-to-day like personal finances versus business and thinking big and understanding your numbers in your business. So then I realized I found this great Guardian article, which we'll go through in a second. I definitely think it's worth a read. So we'll put the link in the show notes. But I realized like women have been like literally financially incapacitated for thousands of years. Men have a thousands of years head start on us. And then I got even angrier. And so I thought it might be helpful to go through some of the history of what women couldn't do and now are just recently are able to do because I think perspective is everything. So I think like, yeah, I'm really angry at how some, you know, some other women who are thinking this way, but then it's like, it's not really our fault because this is how society has taught us what's important. This is how we have survived. And so I think this, this little lesson, this history lesson in money and women is super helpful. Yeah, no, totally. I, I just, I think that I have personally gone through this transition from thinking about money one way to now thinking about it very differently. And so I think it'd be helpful to kind of share our own journeys. We've, we've definitely, we have an episode just for those of you who are newer to the show. We have an episode that we'll link to in the notes as well from where we shared our own money stories, which I think would be helpful if you want to learn more about kind of how we came to think the way that we do now. But yeah, let's go ahead and let's go way, way back. Way, way back to Egyptian times. And then I want to talk a little bit about contrast that to how men are socialized. And then I think let's talk about some solutions, how we can kind of break this, this cycle. And then we can share a little bit about our personal. So, okay. So this Egyptian or sorry, this Guardian article starts in Egyptian times, which is so fascinating because back in Egyptian era, women and men had equal financial rights which is so fascinating. I don't really know how they know that. There is a link to another article who who has determined this. So I, I'm curious about that. And then there's lots of different like in-betweens, you know, like from Judaism and, and Muslim and all sorts of religions and different eras and different populations. But really, I want to jump forward to the year 1100 in England, English common law, when coverture came to be. So coverture is the legal status of a married woman was considered to be her husband's protection and authority, right? So that's when that came into being in the early 1100s. And basically in that time period, married women could not own property, could not run taverns, stores, or they could not sue in court, whereas widows and spinsters could. Kind of of love that. Kind of love that that widows and spinsters could own a tavern back in the 1100s. I wonder at what point does someone become a spinster? When you don't marry and you're probably older than 25 or 20. Well, that age is the question, like... When you're 19, yeah. are you a spinster if you're not married? Yeah. I mean, that's like, yeah. that's like a whole I think other so. podcast. I think it's, yeah. That's no, I, absolutely. But like, imagine that as soon as you did marry, you lost your ability to like own property. Like you, your house is no longer, well, you would never have had a house in the first place. Even with inheritance, like if your father wanted your, you to give 
like inheritance to you, you couldn't, you couldn't have it. Like it would go right to the husband. So anyway, I just think that's really interesting. And some, of course, that English common law came over to North America. And I'm just going to jump, like you can read this article and it goes through all the different countries and the different years of what happened. So for example, in France in 1881, France granted women the right to own their own bank account, which U.S. and Canada did not do that till 1960s. Like that is like, that is like that. And now I'm like, oh, that's what my mom experienced when she tried to get a loan for a car and they wouldn't give it to her without a man. So we couldn't get a loan without a man. We can't own property. We still make less than men, white women. And then it's worse for black women and Latino women. We also now in our current day, we're like working outside of the home. Plus we're taking the second shift, right? So it's just like, this is what we've, for thousands of years, this is what we have been dealing with. In the United States in 1974, there was an Equal Credit Opportunity Act, which banned up until then required single, widowed, or divorced women to bring a man along to co-sign any credit application regardless of income. And even if you did have income, they discounted the value of the wages when considering how much credit to grant by as much as 50%. In 1976, Irish women were finally able to own their own their own homes outright. In 1976, and then in, in, I love this one, 1982, UK uh, women are allowed to spend their money in English pubs without being refused service. 1982. I mean, to some extent, I imagine these laws were those laws that are kind of on the books but aren't enforced in these ages. So that would be interesting to learn more about because like I know in the United States, there are still some of these like wacko laws in certain jurisdictions that make no sense and no one really follows them, but they're still officially on the books. So when we look at that, like how recent it has been that women can actually have their own bank account or have access to a line of credit or take out a loan or own their own home. Like it's no wonder that we're a little farther behind than men with the ability to own property, to make financial decisions. And even the idea, even the concept of like, I'm going to go build my own wealth. Like that is not something that as children, as young girls that we have, we have thought about. No, I never, I never considered that as a little girl. But but what, and I think this part of this comes up with some of the past episodes with Kelly Deals, that what women are good at is running a household, is saving, is sort of holding on, is being smart with money. It's like budgeting. It's like putting food on the table. I mean, a lot of women, you know, if there is any poverty at play, if there was single motherhood, like you get really smart with money on how to, to survive. So we never had our own revenue sources. We never had jobs, right? We could, we had only what the husband or father gave us or allowed for us. So I think that we've been taught very naturally through culture to scrimp and to save and to be smart with money and to hoard. My friend Lisa's mom saved, like took money off her. She did some babysitting. She kept a portion of that money and had it in a hidden bank account from her husband so he wouldn't know. Things like that. Like that is what we have. So we're very, very good at holding and at focusing on expenses and making things work with what, what we have. However, I think the a bigger problem here is that if you take that attitude and those beliefs, if you don't even know that you're thinking like that and you bring it into business, I think it sets you up for a really hard go. 
Yeah. So in your opinion, Sandy, my, my take on this is that the skills and the acumen to survive and to scrimp and to save and to sort of like squeeze, you know, honey out of a dewdrop. <laughs> I keep coming up with these. Like those are not the same skills that it takes to thrive and to build wealth and to be financially abundant, right? Like, so that's, I think, like, it's not like, oh, you, you're really, really good at scrimping. And then if you do that enough, you become really good at becoming wealthy. It's not like, it's not like a, a linear progression. No, right. Yeah. No, that's right. I think that is a skill set. And I think it, it's like survival and safety. But it, that is not how you're going to build wealth. So if you, you're not going to build wealth by keeping your expenses low. In fact, I would argue it's probably the opposite. The more you spend, the more that you're in sort of that money abundant w- mindset and, and, and more will be attracted to you. But if you think about like men for literally, now that I've seen this article, thousands of years, they have been owners of property, of money, of women, of slaves. They have been owners. They have white men specifically have the cultures built for and by white men, right? So of course it's set up for them to to succeed. They are taught the concept of wealth. They are taught to take risks. They are taught to talk about money, to charge more, to price accordingly to the financial value, to, I don't know, take action, to do things. They're also, I mean, there's other pressures for them like to provide, right? Like they have to bring them, their pressure is to provide for the family. So they they definitely have just a different set of internalized beliefs than, than what we do. But it's just so different. And I was thinking about, I actually last night I was going through like good housekeeping magazines, like from the seventies and the sixties and like Mademoiselle and like all of these magazines were all that we were taught through that, that sort of culture were to be like shiny, soft and sparkly and clean our homes. It was all ads for soap (laughs) and products for like pans, like it was all cooking and cleaning and household, right? There was, and it was all about how you look too, right? So it's like, you're the object for men. You have that, you know, all you're doing is for things for other people, your family, your children, and your partner. And it was like, there's nothing of substance about building wealth or taking care of yourself or making yourself happy. It was so fascinating. It was it's sort of a bit of a tangent, but I was like, and I wish that I, I don't know what magazines men would have looked at in that era. Right. And so they would have been, they would have been like reading the newspaper and, you know, current events and business and stuff like that, where we're learning, you know, how to scrub a a pot. So anyway, all that to say, I just think, first of all, we're not going to judge ourselves. Right. It's like this, we've, we've honestly, this is, it's, we've come by it honestly. And this is what culture society wants, wanted us to do and be. It's like the operating system in the background. And now I just kind of want to undo it and just really talk about women in business. The other thing, Jenny, is like when I was looking at women, money, and you know, doing all these searches, a lot of it was just like household finances. It was about budgeting. It was about saving. And it was still kind of the same message. I mean, I'm, I'm around a lot of that. It's, it's fascinating to me that how much of like the financial conversation that's aimed more at women is about budgeting. And I also watch all these like dude bro 
YouTube channels too. <laughs> I watch a lot of, I'm like a big YouTube fan and I watch, like they're all about real estate. Investing. Yeah. It's, that's wealth like, building. It's like, and I don't, and they're either about like crypto or real estate investing and they have like high production quality and they're like, it's men aren't taught to budget so over the top. Budget. And then you watch like these like super mom budget. I mean, I just watch them. Like people are like, how how I feed my family of 10 on $5 a week from Walmart. And they like, people take their phones, their videos into Walmart or wherever and like video themselves buying, you know, like $20 worth of groceries to feed a giant family. And it's not necessarily that these people have to do that, but that's their content, right? Like their, their business is built on teaching people how to buy like a dozen eggs for 10 cents and how it's like, it's, I, I, it's so annoying I think, to my husband when I'm watching these things. Cause like, it's totally, it's like, I don't even have like a store like Walmart where I live. Like, it's just not relevant to, to me, but I'm so interested in like, these videos have like 300,000 views too. It's not like nobody's watching. Like these are the super popular videos. And then again, contrast that with like how to build wealth. And it's all these like men nicely dressed, almost always men. It's not always men. I also watch a follow a handful of women who have these YouTube channels, but they are fancy cars. Like they're showing you their house in their neighborhood that they bought like a third house in Las Vegas as a rental property. Like it is all fast, like unattainable, I think for most people. And and it's a totally different demographic. So I think that's still very much like this magazines from the 60s, like this kind of thing you're seeing. It has a new way of playing out now in this era. Yeah. So I, yeah, that's so interesting. And I, I so I, like that's just the perfect demonstration that men are shown and talking about purchasing properties. And that's not to say that there's not women teaching other women how to build, you know, hardly any though, real estate, really ha- but it's not any. the dominant conversation. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I think that's what I get so mad at or not mad. I'm just like frustrated. I'm so frustrated because I think it's so important that women do build their own wealth. And it's like, regardless of what your relationship status is, if you're married or what, whatever, if a partner, it doesn't matter. Like for you yourself, you should build your own wealth. And then whatever happens, like you're okay. It's, it's like, it is power. It is safety. And it's so shifted as we talked about so many times, like the power and the money is with a very slim demographic in our society. And that's what we are, you and I are out to change. And I, and I'm just like, you know what, but we don't have the right messages around it. Nobody knows how to build wealth. And so for the women that do start businesses, we see such low sales and a difficulty trying to get some traction and, and, but I know it's because there's all this background at play and that when we are focusing on buying the cheapest software platforms and the, you know, free sites all over the place. And it's not to say that we don't need to consider expenses. Of course we do. Of course we need to be smart about how we spend our money. And like you and I on a one of the money things that we did, we were talking about how we look at all of our expenses regularly to see like, do we need all the things that we're paying for? Are there, usually it's software because we have so many 150,000 million different software things, tools that we use for our business. We'll just like, oh, we don't use that anymore. Let's cancel that. But we're not like platform hopping. Oh, there's a cheaper webinar software. Let's like save $10 and go over there. That is a waste of our, our time. We need to be talking about 
selling more, are our prices right, taking action, growing, marketing, and not just bottom line numbers? Well, yeah, I I think that this idea of like constantly being focused on like saving a buck comes at a massive opportunity cost because it's a tremendous amount of like emotional labor and mental energy to be constantly thinking about like budgeting and everything you do, especially in your business. And so you have to calculate like the cost of that time and energy that you're thinking about, like, how do I save $300 this year by, you know, optimizing XYZ? Like, could you not spend that time making 10x or 10, you know, a thousand X? Go see a private client. Go see a private client. Right. So I think that like network, go to, go to like a meetup online and network with somebody and get a new client, like figure something else out to do with your time. The other thing that like you're saying that brings up for me, Sandy, is this idea that like, we think that the solution to our problems is going to be in a tool or a resource. And, you know, we obviously have (laughs) spent a lot of time and energy building a tool. You know, we have a company built around a tool, but I'll be the first one to say that like the tool is not the point. The tool is there to hum in the background, to make your life easier, to make it more efficient and effective for you to do what you're doing, right? The tool is not going to solve your problem. The tool is not going to make you money. Like you and your, your body of work, and your ability to transform people's lives is what's going to make your business functional and make make you a lot of money. The answer is always sell more. Go sell more. That's always the answer. Or raise your prices. revenue. Probably would, also raise your prices. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Same result, right? Like just make more. Like that is the don't worry about the 60 bucks or the 10 bucks or the 100 bucks. Don't worry about it. Like what are you doing to continue to build those relationships, to continue to grow that body of work? We've been talking a lot about this in the inner circle recently about the concept of like becoming an authority and growing a body of work. That's what you need to be doing. That will that will pay off a hundredfold over jumping and, and saving 50 bucks or whatever it is. It just, it's just so infuriating. Yeah. And I also see, I want to say, I see too many people um, hold back from investing in the paid version of a tool because of the same reason. So I just want to put that out there. If you are on like the free version of something, but then you have to do a lot of manual work behind the scenes to keep using that free version, I guarantee you it's worth the money to upgrade to a paid version. And this is coming from someone who does not offer a free version. So I'm not talking about our own platform in any way. But like, if you're on the free version of MailChimp, and you're doing all kinds of hocus pocus behind the scenes to make it work, just upgrade, like just just pay pay for the the features. There's there's a robot that can do that for you. It is worth the 10 bucks. Like, please, if you take anything away from this, like value your time. Yeah. That is the mental switch. That's another great example that I hadn't even thought of is like that they stay on free too long. And then they're like, Ooh, should I, should I upgrade? Just upgrade, pay the $13, like make it up on the other end times a hundred, literally. So I think like, I just, I really want these conversations just sort of moving into solution and sort of future and where we can go with this. I really want to normalize conversations around women and money and that, you know, like to talk openly about our frustrations or like, like uncovering like, oh crap, I didn't even know I was thinking like that, right? Like you don't even know what you're thinking, like that operating system, those, un- those un- 
subconscious beliefs, like those are operating in the, in the, in the background and we need to uncover those and discover them and see if we want to keep them or not. So I think like these conversations around money are super important, focusing on top line revenue and also any chain, like what you and I are talking about, helping more women run businesses, build wealth, and just sort of change that, the, who has the power in our society. It those societal changes are great, but it all starts with the individual. We have to understand how we're each showing up to our own businesses and where our limitations are. Oh, yeah, I hear you. Oh, wait, I want to make one more point, which I think requires a follow-up podcast episode, which is that as you were messaging me all of these thoughts, and we were going back and forth on this episode, what came to mind for me was also like this idea of shrinking versus expansion is that women have also been taught very much to shrink physically and to not take up physical space. And so I believe there's a relationship between these things like, you know, don't spend, don't take up too much space. So I think that there's also like a lot of body image issues like going on here. So I think it's all related. Like be sweet, be sparkly, be quiet, be demure. Don't spend a lot of money. Please, people, don't take up too much space. Yeah, you know, that just reminded me. Another thing I wanted to say was like, women who do buy things are like splurgers and excessive and ridiculous, you know? And I, and that, so when we do actually go and spend money and not scrimp and save, there is this negative connotation to us like, buying something that we really love and we really want while the men are out buying Lamborghinis and putting it all over Instagram or whatever. Right. And so I, I was like, that was such an interesting, I can't even remember where I read that. It's like, even when we do go spend, we're still like everyone now judges us for splurging. Yeah. I think that's true. I think that's totally true. And I, I think that we need to in general sort of move away from shaming people for their decisions to invest in certain things or to make certain financial decisions. Like you don't know where someone is in their life or what, you know, what they're doing. And so please just hold off. Like, I think we just need to be a lot more understanding of each other. And truly there's nothing inherently wrong with spending money. And in the case of your business, there's almost always something inherently right in investing in yourself. Yes. A hundred percent. Okay. Joy. Okay, Joy. So you got the joy. You claimed it. Okay, 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 okay. So (laughs) I am obsessed with beekeeping. And I spent the last weekend reading everything I possibly can read about beekeeping because I want to have in the city, I want to have a hive in my yard, which we're allowed to do here in Calgary. And then my father, who owns a quarter section, has he said that we could have bees out there. And I know oh, we did. Yes. My sister-in-law listened to this podcast. And so she's going to, she's freaking out right now. And she's listening to me say this. And yeah. So anyway, so as I like, okay, I got to know everything. I found this place out of, it's called Flow Hive out of Australia. And they, so, you know, the traditional like hives and a part of a big part of the work with beehives is that I can't believe we went from like women and money and scarcity and coupon clipping to beehives, what we are. Part of We're the work with beehives, <laughs> that's right, that's right, is the getting the honey, right? So it's usually the upper two boxes are where the honey is stored and you have to like remove the frames and you have to like have all this equipment to sort of use centrifugal force to um, pull the honey out. It's messy and it's a lot of work. Flow Hive has this thing where you insert a key 
turn it, it cracks the wax in the storage honey frames and it pours out into a tap and you don't have to disturb the, the hive, open it up to go get the honey. It's amazing. It's amazing. So I'm obsessed with that. So if any of you are in a place to look or interested in beekeeping, I would highly suggest going look just Google Flow Hive and they have an amazing website. It's like incredible amount of information and forums and oh, it's so good. So that's my joy. This new it does beehive. look really cool. And I, I have, these, I, I'm really excited about it. Yeah, you need to have one. So, and it would, they started on Indiegogo. They, it was a, a father, son, and they did an Indiegogo. I think they raised like $12 million for this invention of the, they sort of reinvented the, the beehive. So, okay, hustle. Well, first I have to remind you that my high school aptitude test revealed that I should be a beekeeper. <laughs> I did not know that. Did I never tell you that? That's a thing on a it was the, the thing I was told that I was most apt to become. And I was horrified because I, at that point, was very much still on my path to become an environmental lawyer, which is what, of course, I ultimately did. I, my test showed that I was, should be a funeral director. That's terrible. <laughs> I don't know. What, I don't even know what to say about that. <gasps> okay. I, just, I saw a link somewhere about, I don't even know what I saw it on today, but I saw a link somewhere that there's like this mortician who's like really killing it on TikTok. <laughs> we can talk about it later. <laughs> I don't know why anyone would watch that. What but apparently thing? that's a thing. I don't, know. Sensitive I don't know. I saw it somewhere. I dancing. didn't have time. They're probably dancing in the, amongst the coffin. All right. You know. Doing some shuffle dance. Well, that could have been your life, Sandy. <laughs> If paths had had aligned differently. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. Well, I am all in on the hives. Like I'm going to learn, live vicariously through you. And when I have energy, I'm also going to invest in the hive. Okay. Yeah. So the hustle, which also could have been a joy, but we're going to make it a hustle, is this article in the New York Times. Let me see if I have it up called Gotta Have That Cute Mug, Act Fast. And it is all about like, the cult behavior around like dirt drops. And if you don't know what a dirt drop is, like go on Instagram and look for it. (laughs) But basically there's all these like artisanal potters that have during the pandemic in particular really gotten, has seen an explosion in their businesses because people become obsessed with like handmade things and pottery. And so they do these dirt drops where they build up all of this energy around the fact that they're going to be releasing a new drop of pottery, often mugs. And like, I'm, of course, participating in all of this. This is like pure bliss for me. (laughs) And so when I saw it covered in the New York Times, I got really excited. Is it dirt drop as in like clay is dirt? Is that where the name comes from? Okay. okay. Dirt drop. Sounds like um, something you would eat. No, you don't eat a dirt drop. No. So, so... This, but, but the article's interesting because it's showcasing some of these potters that have been participating and seen their businesses explode in the last year. And I just also think it's a hustle because it's so, the business model is so fascinating, right? Because like by nature, this is what's different than online, but by nature, there's only so many of any given piece of pottery that, that a human being can make within a span of time. And so there's just like things sell out like instantly. And I follow some of these. I have my own potters that I follow. I'm on the email list. Like I, I'm ready when those, when the dirt drops happen and I've been able to score a couple of mugs. So I think I've talked about object matter before, but object matter ceramics is my favorite and they're not in this article, but anyway, it's like a whole thing. 
it's a really fun way to support artists and local businesses, small businesses. And I just think it's such a, like such a cool marketing strategy. So if you're an online business owner, you know, it's, it's really interesting to think about like, how can you emulate this in the online space? So obviously launches are one way, but like, how can we tweak launch strategy so that it Mm -hmm. more closely Mm -hmm. matches what's going on with these dirt drops? Oh, it's so cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So you and I are building out a a new course for Inner Circle on memberships. And I think that we can work some of that into the teaching. Yeah, I totally think so. Okay. Awesome. Jenny, thank you for agreeing to do this angry podcast with me. And I'm not really angry. It's just like in the moment I was angry. It came out of anger. I'm not angry now. Yeah, it was fun. Okay. So folks, if you want to work with us. If you liked what you listened to in this episode and you want to work directly with us and our team, you can apply for our inner circle experience. You can go to the innercircle.works slash apply and learn more about our program. And you can also teach online on our platform, Marvelous. Thanks everyone. Bye, Jenny. Bye.